Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I, I stand before you asking to, that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation this morning. I'm asking that you would speak to our hearts. You'd speak to our hearts. Truth would bring courage and vigor to our soul. Lord, would you stand with me in my weakness and hold my hand and allow me to speak as an oracle. God, we ask that the Holy Spirit would take this whole room under his own influence. Lord, come. Do what you love to do. Be exalted in this place. Holy Spirit, exalt the Lord Jesus and teach us the truth of your word this morning. We give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, turn with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians 10. You guys there this morning? All right, we're, we're together, right? All right. 2 Corinthians 10. Now, I want to talk uh, this morning on the subject of biblical spiritual warfare. Biblical spiritual warfare. I, uh, you know, I know that our community, we love the message of intimacy with God. Uh, we love the message of grace. We love to meditate on the kindness of God who who delights in us and who is, you know, tenderly in love with us. And we love to meditate on, uh, you know, the God who empowers us in our weakness. And we, we love to, to uh, lean into grace and, and be, uh, you know, not ones given to striving. And, and rather than striving, we trust in the grace of God to enable us and empower us. And, and we love to have our hearts come alive in, uh, in revelation of His delight and His his uh, tenderness towards us. And so at times, it can seem like the message or the themes, the biblical themes of, of like intimacy and, and grace and, and, you know, resting in the Lord, that they might be at odds with, with things like fervency and perseverance and, and spiritual warfare. And, and uh, you know, I was thinking, you know, how do you, how do you uh, sort of combine the issues uh, of spiritual warfare and remain in, you know, meekness and peace. You know, there's, there's the, the biblical, um, you know, construct that there's much that's done in the place of warfare in the spirit. But then we're, we're admonished to stay in peace and, and to stay, you know, hum- humble and, and restful before the Lord. And, and uh, you know, I, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. You know, he gives the most... Uh, information, most revelation, the most theology in the New Testament on the issue of grace. He speaks on grace more than anyone else, and he really lays out the New Testament, New Testament doctrine of grace. But then also, Paul, who is the, the grace preacher, he also speaks more on and uses the metaphors of fighting and warfare than anyone else does in the New Testament. And so... Uh, those two things are not in opposition. In other words, moving in the grace of God uh, and spiritual warfare, they're not in opposition of one another. They're actually uh, coincidental. They're both and realities. In fact, if you're going to um, engage in biblical spiritual warfare, uh, you, have to, you have to lock into the grace of God. And, and whereas, you know, meekness and boldness might be in opposition or might seem like they're in opposition, if you're going to engage in biblical spiritual warfare, you've got to be engaged. You, it's a prerequisite. 
to be rooted in meekness so that you can be bold in the place of warfare. Those things are not contradictory. They actually are parallel. They actually run right together. And so uh, I want to talk about spiritual warfare this morning, but I want to give a biblical lens, and I want to I touch on some familiar uh, scriptures in the New Testament that talk about spiritual warfare, but perhaps give them from a different vantage point. And, and uh, I think it's important that while we're engaged in a time of a season of fasting and prayer, and, and we are not being shy about the fact that we believe we're engaging in spiritual warfare, that we do it with a biblical lens. We have a, a, a true paradigm that matches what the scripture says. Because I think uh, much of the time, and I was just going through my own history, that I've heard teaching on spiritual warfare. Uh, I, I don't know that I've had, I don't know that I've had the proper, uh, been given the proper lens for what spiritual warfare uh, is, you know, from the scripture. I think we have scriptures, but there's a mentality, there's a, there's a biblical paradigm that we've got to employ when it comes to engaging in spiritual warfare. And so uh, that, that's kind of my endeavor this morning, is that we would talk about spiritual warfare and we would uh, try to root it in a true biblical paradigm. And so... Um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul, what he's doing is this. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 10. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church who he's, he's got long relationship with. He's, he's actually lived amongst them for a couple of years and, and been in, in very tight community with them. And what he's dealing with is this. There are others that have come in and they've, they've released accusations against Paul that um, are diminishing, they're negative against Paul in the eyes of the Corinthians. They're saying that Paul is not a true apostle. And so much of the book of 2 Corinthians, what you have is Paul working through the messy interpersonal challenges that come when we are in community in the body of Christ. You know, I want to encourage you. When you get into a challenge with uh, somebody that's a believer and it's a uh, 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 interpersonal kind of breakdown, that is not a problem. That is an incredible opportunity. Beloved, that's, that's part of it. That's part of what it means to be in the body. As we go through stuff, we, we get into challenges, and then guess what we get to do? Humble ourselves and repent and work through it. Praise God. That's, <laughs> that's called Christianity. That's called living the cross. That's called being a testimony of the wisdom of God in the cross to the principalities and powers that reign. That's spiritual warfare. When you will lay down your life in humility and meekness and at all costs be at peace with, with your brothers and sister and repent and humble yourself, that is spiritual warfare. That is a testimony. Ephesians 3 says it's a testimony to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. It, and it testifies of the wisdom of the cross that God, through laying down his life as a man, that wisdom, it seems foolishness that Christ would die, but the wisdom of God laying down his life as a man is what brings full victory for the kingdom of God. And so, when we go through those interpersonal challenges, we too engage in warfare. Well, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he's saying, listen guys, the more I love you, the less I'm loved by you. And you've got these guys that have come through and they're trying to ask me about my resume. He goes, well, let me boast in this. I'll boast in the fact that I've suffered greatly for the name of Christ. He goes, if I'm going to boast in something, I'll boast in my weaknesses. 
I'll boast in, in Christ alone. And uh, he goes, I don't have a resume to put out in front of you in that way. He goes, all I know is this. I've been commissioned, and it's, I am what I am, but the grace of God, I've been commissioned by that one. And so he's, he's working through the challenges with the, with the Corinthian church. And then in 2 Corinthians 10, which is one of the key spiritual warfare uh, passages that we use to, to describe spiritual warfare, we always yank the verses out of context. It's okay because they apply in different ways. But uh, I don't think we get the right paradigm so much when we just pull the one phrase, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty and God for pulling down strongholds. We pull that one phrase out, and who knows what that means? Our, our weapons aren't carnal, but they're mighty to pull down strongholds. Who knows what that means? And so what Paul is actually dealing with is this. He describes in the text, he says, strongholds are arguments, they're, they're uh, accusations, they're thoughts that are exalted in the minds of men, that what, in the, what they end up doing is when men believe those accusations and those arguments that are against the knowledge of God, when men believe those things, it, it changes the spiritual atmosphere. All I've got to do to do real spiritual warfare is get a community to believe lies about God and the nature of God. When that community is believing deception, which is what that is, then that is demonic warfare and strongholds are erected. Well, Paul says our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty to pull down those strongholds. And that's what he's talking about, is ideas, thoughts, mentalities, paradigms. They're in opposition to the truth of the Word of God and to the kingdom of God. And so look at, though, what he says as he's describing his authority. Now think about this. He's describing his authority to do spiritual warfare, to tear down strongholds. Here's what he says. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 10. Now, I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He's getting ready to describe his authority to pull down strongholds. He says, I, Paul, I'm pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He goes, who I in presence am lowly among you. He goes, I'm I'm weak. (laughs) He goes, I get it. He goes, I'm not too much to look at. My physical appearance isn't too much. Which was one of the things that the the false apostles were saying about Paul. They're saying, look at him. He's broken down and, and beaten up. And how can that be an apostle? And Paul goes, no, that's what makes me an apostle. You want to know my resume? Yeah, 39 times, you know, multiple times I've been given 39 stripes by, by the Jews. You know, and he goes, I've been in shipwreck in the night and the day and the deep. I've been stoned and left for dead. I mean, he goes, that is my resume. He goes, the fact that I'm weak doesn't disqualify me. The fact that I'm weak proves that I am approved. He goes, I am lowly in presence among you. He goes, but being absent, he goes, I'm being bold towards you. He goes, I beg you. Can you hear the tenderness in him? People accuse Paul of being sort of curt and cantankerous. I think he's like, I mean, sweet and syrupy so much. Read the book of Philippians. He's like gushing over them. My beloved and longed for brethren. (laughs) Like what if I said, hey, Adonis, you are my beloved and longed for brother. You'd be like, that's nice, Billy. Bless you, brother. And Paul is like, 
engaged in some intimate language with the believers. He goes, I, he goes like a nursing mother, like a cherishing father to the Second Thessalonians, to the Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. I mean, he is tender. He goes, hey guys, I'm begging you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He goes, I beg you that when I'm present, I may not. The idea is have to be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walk according to the flesh. The whole accusation was that Paul wasn't actually commissioned by God, but that he was in the flesh doing this thing on his own for his own benefit. The, the antithesis of what Paul was doing. He goes, listen, when I come, he goes, I'm intending to display the apostolic authority that I have. He goes, but I'm begging you, by the meekness of Christ. He goes, come on, I, I don't want to go like that. I don't have to, to be that way. Because, you know, some people are saying that we're walking by the flesh. He goes, no, we're not walking in the flesh. We've been commissioned by God. And he goes, and furthermore, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He goes, I'm not in the flesh, nor am I warring according to the flesh. That's what he says. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. For that we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. But my weapons are, are not carnal. They are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. They cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. They bring thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. He goes, the weapons of my warfare are chiefly designed... And he's, he's speaking about the proclamation ministry. That's what he's speaking about. We don't comprehend this, but when a man of God is under the anointing of the Spirit of God, proclaiming the Word of God, much activity happens in the spiritual realm. And when that man has gone through the necessary, necessary sufferings and death that, that uh, cause authority to be upon his life, like the Apostle Paul, when he speaks a word from the Lord, angels and demons move into conflict. He goes, and when I speak, he goes, though I'm weak, think about this, though I'm weak and lowly, he goes, when I speak a word, it actually shifts demons that are in men's minds. It drives them out and displaces uh, accusations and deceptions with truth. It tears down strongholds. Beloved, spiritual warfare is chiefly about angels and demons moving, creating a spiritual environment around people so that truth can go in and deception and lies can be driven out. Strongholds fall and truth gets erected in the heart of an individual. And beloved, that's how souls get saved. That's spiritual warfare. Paul says, when I do this, I proclaim and the weapons that I have, they're mighty in God. They're not after the flesh. I don't, I don't have to deal with warring in the flesh. He goes, I don't war according to the flesh. He goes, my weapons are mighty in God, and they are designed for the pulling down of strongholds. I deal with accusations in the mind. When I proclaim truth, those accusations are driven out. That is one of the chief operations of spiritual warfare, is the proclamation of truth. The proclamation of truth. Hear that as clear as I can say it. The proclamation of the truth of the gospel is a key facet of spiritual warfare. Now, Paul, when he addresses proclaiming truth, 
He doesn't address it with, a, you know, he doesn't say, I'm going to proclaim truth with a brash strength and by my stature. No, to the contrary. He says, whatever things were gained to me, I've counted them as rubbish. Because everything that I had, it's all loss. In view of the excellence of the knowledge of God, attaining Christ. He goes, no, when I proclaim, he goes, I'm standing and probably more than anyone. Because I'm standing in revelation of my own weakness. I am, I am convinced. Of, he, goes, who, he goes, who am lowly among you. When you read Paul in the New Testament, over and over and over, he references his own weakness. He goes, who am lowly. He describes himself as abased and broken. He goes, when I engage in warfare of this type, he goes, I am clear on this. It's not, it's not because I'm powerful. He goes, it's actually to the opposite. It's because I'm weak that I'm able to proclaim. Because I've suffered. Because I've suffered and, and, and been persecuted and, and experienced you know, near death. He goes, because I'm broken, then I can engage in warfare that tears strongholds down. Are you hearing me? He goes, because I'm broken, because I'm weak, that's why I have authority to shift demonic mentalities in the minds of men when I speak. Now think about that, and then that idea of being weak unto having authority and proclaiming with power and shifting demons out of the, the, the minds of men. Now think about that idea, and then consider many of our modern uh, you know, sort of models of successful ministry. We would believe that authority in the spirit equals notoriety through media. Oh, come on. We, we would believe that the more airplay you have out there, you know, the, the bigger your name is, that equals spiritual authority. I tell you, that's false. It's not biblical. Brokenness and weakness... Paul describes it. He goes, I am weak and lowly. He goes, but I've got weapons that are mighty. Those have to go together. And he goes, I am bold and confident. But is he bold and confident in himself? No. Completely bold and confident in the Lord. He goes, I'm bold and confident and meek and lowly. And I tell you, I mean, just please. If you can find the guy who's meek and humble and broken... And bold and confident, that's a home run. That's a home run. Because, you know, when we start feeling bold and confident, our meekness and <laughs> it kind of goes down. And when we're feeling meek, uh, our boldness is a little bit low. But he, he's able to do both. And I believe that's the picture of how we're to engage in spiritual warfare. Now, Flip over with me to Ephesians 6, the other big spiritual warfare chapter in the New Testament, again written by Paul. I love it that he's writing to the Ephesians because the Ephesians, they had the temple of Diana in their city. It was one of, I mean, you want to talk about a city that was possessed by Jezebel? Ephesus was it. The Ephesian church had in their face... Uh, one of the, the wonders of the world in this temple to Diana. It was a crossroads for civilization. 
in Asia Minor, it drew literally hundreds of thousands of visitors annually to Ephesus to worship Diana. I mean, you want to talk about the spirit of Jezebel and manifestation, Ephesus had it. And when you tell Paul, when Paul explains how he prays for the Ephesians church, right there in the midst of the most, like, I mean, just demon-wrought kind of city with every kind of debauchery you want, what does he pray for? He goes, I pray for the church that she would receive wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. And he goes in Ephesians 3, and I pray for you, Ephesian church, I pray for you that you have might in your inner man by the revelation of the knowledge of God's love for you. He doesn't show up and go, I'm casting out that spirit of Diana in the name of Jesus. I mean, he doesn't do that. He breaks in. He says, I'm, re- I'm asking for light to drive out darkness and love to strengthen your heart. Period. I wonder if that's all you need. Light that drives out darkness and love that causes you to stand with might. That sounds about right. If I can dispel lies and deceptions through the release of light, and if I can get believers alive in love so that they'll even lay down their lives to the death for Christ, might in the inner man, I think we win. And that's what Paul was saying to Ephesus. So then he picks up and he he describes spiritual warfare and he gives us this metaphor of armor. And he tells us to put on the whole armor of God. Now, I don't know if, if you did this, but for years, I heard teaching on this for years and years. And I think it's been a popular teaching, um, at least in charismatic circles, for a long time. Where what you do to put the whole armor of God on is you just pray through it in the morning. And my wife and I, I mean, I know for the first year and a half of our marriage, we used to drive to work together, about a year, give or take. And uh, every morning, we said, God, we put on the full armor of God. We put on the, the helmet of salvation put on the breastplate of righteousness. God, we put, we, we put the loin belt of truth on. And we shot our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We take up our shield of faith and we get that sword of the spirit out, God. And we're, gonna, we're ready to fight today. And I always felt better when I did that. I just felt like, because I heard preachers say, if you don't have your armor on, you're going to get attacked. And I thought, man, any demon tries to get me, I got, I got a breastplate of righteousness. Come on. I got I got a helmet of salvation. You can't touch my head. Whatever. I'm ready. Anybody ever heard that? Come on. Anybody ever did that? (laughs) Come on. For years I did that. I thought that's what the whole teaching was. Yeah, you just put it all on in prayer. Pray about, takes you about a minute. You get it memorized. Bam. Ready to fight. What? It never dawned on me that it has a lot more significance than that. And there's, you know, obviously the teaching is way broader. It's not a bad teaching. I mean, it gives an explanation of all these things that we, that the, the things that are afforded to us in Christ. And I think there's, there's benefit from it. As I was staring at this, I think that Paul was actually trying to get across something more than a minute or two prayer where we just say, you know, I invoke these things over my life. I think what he's actually talking about, be, hear, hear me, I think what he's talking about is lifestyle practices that will enable you to stand when warfare is happening in a significant way. When you read it in context, he goes, you got to do all this. you gotta, you got to have all these features going on so that you can withstand. You can quench the fiery darts. You can stand in the evil day. You can withstand the attacks of the enemy. 
And so he's, listen, yes, I, he's using the metaphor of armor, but what he's describing are lifestyle practices that will enable you to engage and be victorious over the long haul through spiritual warfare. Come on. So Ephesians 6, let's just look at it. Finally, my brethren. I love it where he starts. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, I don't know. I mean, somehow for a long, long time, I thought, I don't know why, but I thought that verse meant be strong in myself and get revved up in the flesh. I mean, there's just a charismatic mentality that we carry. Go, Man, I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Well, I want to propose to you this. To, if you're going to be strong in the Lord, you've got to be weak in yourself. Right? Doesn't that just seem obvious? I don't think you can be strong in yourself and strong in the Lord simultaneously. To be strong in the Lord in the power of His might means you're weak in yourself in the power of your might. And the problem with that is this. So Paul is prefacing how we do spiritual warfare, and the the challenge with it is this: most of us don't ever want to go weak in ourselves and then in the weakness of our and in the power of our weakness. We don't want to be weak in ourselves and in the weakness of ourselves. How's that go? Something like that. Anyway, finally, be weak in yourself and in the power of your weakness. Yeah, we don't want to do that. We're 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 repulsed by weakness. Weakness repels us. You know what I think? I think most believers spend the majority of their time, I think a lot of our inner healing issues, and I've got them too, so just, I'm in there with us. But I think a lot of it is us trying to prove that we're not weak. And we get offended when people do things that expose us as weak or humiliate us. And, and we're, we live our whole life trying to prove that we're strong. Beloved, no, God wants your weakness. He wants your weakness. He uses one thing to make beauty. Ashes. That's what he uses to make beauty. Ashes. And so he goes, Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. And I, I think he's referring primarily to his own mode of spirituality. Now, this is the same man who wrote in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 12. I just want to read this to you. When he's talking about the thorn in the flesh, just stay there in Ephesians 6. It'll come up on your screen. He says, uh, and he said to me, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. My power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults. I goes, I'm well content with my weaknesses. Can, can any among us say, man, I am well content with my weaknesses? And another version says, he goes, I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Because I like looking weak in front of people. Come on, man. Like, is that what it says? Yeah, wow. That's not like what I was thinking. Wow. 
totally shifts what spiritual warfare is about. He goes, I rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. I am content with my weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. I'm content with difficulties. Why? Because it shows that I'm weak and I need God. For when I'm weak, then, then and only then, the key to my strength, that's, you, you say it like that, the key to the authority and the power that I have in Christ, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because I will boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ can dwell in me. We are repelled by weakness, but God is compelled by it. We disdain it, but God is drawn to it. We are repulsed by it, but God is engrossed by it. God is drawn to that smoldering sacrifice of burning flesh on the altar, and man are absolutely repelled. Paul said, I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to be the complete manifestation and punctuation of what it means to be laid out and poured out and burned up for God in full weakness and ashenness. I mean, I just, I want to be completely poured out. What was he like? So he could, just because he wanted to, just like parade himself like this, this big martyr? No. Because he, he understood. He had an agenda there was God's agenda. It was that the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, would manifest through someone who had truly laid down his life in death. Beloved, resurrection comes when death happens. So he says, the very first thought is, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Beloved, I tell you, that is a statement of lean into God and proclaim yourself weak. That's what he's saying there. Be strong in the Lord. Lean into his strength and proclaim yourself as unable. Be strong in the power of his might and proclaim yourself as having no might of yourself. Be strong in the Lord because fully rely upon and lean into God. And I tell you, therein is the platform from which you can do spiritual warfare. That's what he's saying. That's the platform from which you're supposed to do spiritual warfare. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because these are lifestyle uh, practices. He goes, I'm giving you spiritual keys that will enable enable you to stand against every deception and every attack the enemy would bring. Now that's powerful. Because I'm about to lay out for you lifestyle keys. If you will practice these with your lifestyle, then you will stand against everything, the wiles, all the the deceptive trickery and ensnarements that the enemy brings against you, all the attacks that he comes against you with. Because if you'll practice these lifestyle things, because you will stand against all the wiles of the enemy. That's important, beloved. Because for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He gives those four levels of demonic forces. I believe he's giving a hierarchy in the demonic ranks. He's giving them, I believe, from highest to lowest. He says, these are who we wrestle against. 
Because you've got to understand, this is not about people. Beloved, that's so key. That is so important. We don't wrestle against people. I tell you, the problem isn't the politician. The problem isn't your mother-in-law. Come on. The problem isn't your brother, mother, sister. The problem is not a person. I promise you. I promise you the problem is not a person. When you're wrestling, there's two things that, that you're wrestling with. You're wrestling with yourself. Come on. Half the time it's us. Three quarters of the time it's us. All right, 99% of the time. No, I'm just... A bunch of the time it's us, and a bunch of the time it's the devil. That's it. I don't know the percentages, but we don't wrestle against people. They're not our problem. And, and God's never our problem. He's never wrong. He's never at fault. He's never the problem. When you get into that place of you're, you're agreeing with, hear me right now. One of, the, one of the keys the devil does is he, he speaks accusations. He accuses night and day. He accuses believers before God night and day. But you know what else he does? He accuses us to each other. Yo, man, do you see the way she was looking at you? She is so bitter and angry at you. And you start getting bitter and angry at them, and they're not even bitter and angry at you. It's just an accusation. He accuses us to one another. But then, you know, the other thing he does? He accuses God to us. And when challenges and trials hit, you know what the first thing the devil loves to do? Accuse God. He's not what he said he was. He's not as good as he said he is. He's not as kind as he said he is. And the enemy fills our minds with accusations against God. I promise you, if you get on that train, that thing is going to bust. It's it's a dead end. That That is a trap that will get you in trouble To step into accusation against God is always a losing battle. Always, 100% of the time, a loser. Just don't even go there. Clearly, God's not the problem. He's God. That leaves a couple other choices. That's where we go. And the problem is not the other person. I promise you, they're they're, they're not your problem. We live our lives, though, dealing with people like they're our problem. And they're not. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's four levels of demonic hierarchy that that are influencing the earth. And it's the sway of the wicked one that they employ. 1 John 5, 19 tells us the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And these four levels of demonic forces, they're moving in the activities of men. And men are in agreement or in disagreement with them. But the men are not our problem. The the problem is those those spiritual forces or our own hearts or a, a combination. So he goes, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Because this, these lifestyle practices are, are what's going to enable you to be victorious against everything that the devil brings against you. Beloved, this is not just praying a simple little two-minute prayer every day. This is actually shifting your life and employing these things so that you're victorious in a time of trial and testing when the enemy comes against you. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Girded your waist with truth. Girded your waist with truth. Rather than this being about, uh, I think, I've heard many times, it's loving, um, how do I say, or speaking the, the truth of the Bible, speaking the truth of the Bible. 
I believe this is more about loving truth in your inner parts. And I, I think he starts with this point on purpose because Satan is the father of lies. All right? Satan's the father of lies. So the first thing we're going to do in spiritual warfare when we're dealing with attacks of the enemy is we're going to love truth. Beloved, loving truth is one of the most difficult things to do. You know why? Because the truth hurts. The truth is painful. The truth will expose you. We all have a mentality of what we think is true about us and, and what, we, what we say to others is true about us. But who knows the ways of a man's heart? Who knows the actuality of, of what's going on within him? Who knows the motives? Who knows what, what moves inside of him, what his thoughts are and his intentions? Well, the Word of God is the discerner of it. But ultimately this, we've got to be ones that love truth. Love truth, even to our own pain. Loving truth is, it is the, the key, first uh, weapon you have against the one who is deception incarnate. At the end of the age, 2 Thessalonians 2, it tells us that those who do not love truth are subject to apostasy. They fall into apostasy because they do not love truth. And I believe the love of truth, it manifests in all sorts of different ways. It's not simply saying I love the Bible. It's loving the truth and, and, and being um, honest in your, in your heart. Honest with yourself, honest with others, and honest with God. Honesty. He loves truth in the inward parts. I tell you, if you can get somebody to honestly confess their sin or their weakness, so much of the battle is won right there. When they're honest. Honesty. Truth. Just gird your loins with truth. Love truth. I want to be one that loves truth, even at the extent, at the expense of my own comfort. Loving truth will be uncomfortable for you, I promise you. And then suddenly what happens is you get conformed to truth. So all the guile is removed and, and all the falsehood is removed and what remains is truth. And you just, truth is your standard. Truth is what you, you do truth. That's what you do. You don't do little side games and little, you know, hiding behind the mask and playing games and What is it when you're telling something and you make it bigger than it is? Exaggeration. You don't do the exaggeration of life to try to impress men. You just do truth. I tell you, truth is powerful. Truth is a weapon. Truth, truth will dispel 90% of the activity of the enemy. Just truth. Just loving truth. And, and the enemy will come against you and he will accuse you uh, he'll accuse God to you, but then he'll accuse you to God. Again, to love the truth. It's God's say. I want to love truth. And he says, uh, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate of righteousness, I think many times it's been taught about, you know, the, the, the side of who we are in Christ. And I believe there's a massive, massive revelation that we've got to understand about who we are in Christ. But I think the breastplate of righteousness in this context is talking about the lifestyle practice of hungering and thirsting for righteousness on a daily basis. 
loving what God loves and hating what God hates. Think about that. If you are anchored to the love of truth and you live your life hungering and thirsting for righteousness, there's not much the devil's going to get over on you. Come on. And that's what he's talking about, the breastplate of righteousness. This, this is a lifestyle practice of waking up in the morning and going, God, I want to love what you love. I want to hate what you hate. I want to I despise the garment that's even, even remotely tainted by the flesh. And I want to give myself to you in abandonment. I want to love righteousness. I want to glow with the beauty of God because I've given myself to holiness and abandonment. I want to live righteously and love righteousness. I don't want to sort of trim the corners. I don't want to sort of just, you know, get over and, and add a few little side sins because my flesh is aching a little bit and add those things in. I want to love righteousness and hate wickedness. That, that's pretty solid Think if you think about that theology. I love truth, even in my own, the, ex, the, extent, the expense of my own pain. I love truth and I love righteousness. If you love righteousness and you love truth, that's an awesome start to being victorious in the spiritual battle. Verse 15. I just want to say this, actually. Loving righteousness and, and, and living righteously is really about the values of the kingdom coming in the heart and the life of a believer. And when the values of the kingdom come in our hearts, then the power of the kingdom will come in our culture. In our society. That's the point. Living with the breastplate of righteousness is about the values of the kingdom being resonant and and hungering for those things to live that lifestyle unto the manifestation of the kingdom in the culture in which we live. All right, verse 15. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is simply being uh, prepared preparation of the gospel of peace. For years I stumbled over, what does that mean? I don't know, but I just put on the shoes of peace. It's, it's, it's really not so much about peace as it's much about being prepared to speak about the gospel. That's really what it is. For a long time, I, um, whenever I was, like if I, when I worked in, in, in a secular environment and, and, or if I was around you know, believers or, or maybe family that were unbelievers, for the longest time, I thought I had to like put Jesus on, on trial, like defend Jesus to the unsaved. And like sort of just, I, needed, I felt like I just needed like, you know, just bow up and say, man, you can't talk that way because Jesus and, you know, just fight for Jesus. Je- Jesus doesn't need anybody to fight for him. He's really confident and really powerful. He doesn't need me to stick up for him. But so many times it was, it was an intimidating you know, I'd be in this in, intimidating environment with maybe a bunch of unsaved people and they're saying things that are, you know, that are, you know, ungodly or, or whatever. And, and I'm just feeling like, you know, intimidated by it all. And so I'm just like, man, something, you know, and I just, you know, you just blurt something out. God's opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. And you and your pride and humble, you know, you just, whatever. You just say stuff. And you're all, you're, you're, you're trying to fight something. You know what? After a while, I settled two things. Number one, sinners sin. That's what they do. They're good at it. I was good at it before I got saved. Still good at it, but not as much of an expert. So, they sin. 
I shouldn't be offended by that. Jesus never was. He went to their drinking parties. He wasn't freaked by it. it I don't think he loved it. I think it, it, it grieved him and he wanted their salvation. But he didn't walk around with a you know, furrowed brow and a frown on his face going, Oh, your sin is grieving me. You know, he walked around trying to figure out how he could you know, draw them into righteousness. So sin or sin, I settled that. And then I settled that Jesus didn't need me to defend him. Anytime some kind of spiritual thing or some kind of perverse conversation came up, I w- it wasn't like Jesus was on trial. Really what was happening was I was manifesting fear and my lack of confidence in God. And so what I did in those environments is I just decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to talk to them like they are Christians. And I started just, <laughs> I just started speaking crazy stuff that, you know, you don't say to unbelievers as if they were saved and speaking right into uh, spiritual conversations and uh, not going, well, the Bible says, but, you know, just going, you know, I think this, you know, I, actually, I, yeah, I think homosexuality is sin, actually. I mean, I think God loves them, but I think it's a sin. What do you mean? Well, no, I, I, I do. My weakness is on display. I'm getting hammered. But you know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm prepared to speak the gospel of peace. Well, why would you say that? Because Jesus loves us. He died to free us from sin. Not that we would uh, continue on in our sin. And there's this preparation to, to draw people into the revelation of Christ. There's a confidence in just proclaiming the, the, the truths of the word in, in, uh, in weakness. And I just began to speak to unbelievers as if they, they understood what I was talking about. And I, I remember just recently, I was in, I was in Kansas City and I, was, I, was, I had to get my hair cut. And they just said, hey, go to that place. And I walk in there and there's, it's a, for, I'm the first one in the door in the morning because I'm, I'm in a hurry. And, and the young lady, you know, she, she takes me in and, and uh, I can tell, you know, she's, uh, you know, she, she's, you can just tell she's probably not safe. Just kind of, you know, she's kind of rough. And, uh, and so I sit down and, and so she sa- starts a conversation with me. She's very, very talkative. Uh, young lady, and I was like, great. So I'm going to talk to her, and, and so she says, so what do you do? I go, I'm, I'm a missionary. I, 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 uh, I'm out here at International House of Prayer, and uh, she goes, oh, you wouldn't like me then. I go, oh, no, I bet I would. I bet I'd really like you. Why, why wouldn't I like you? She goes, oh, I'm an atheist. I go, oh, you're probably not an atheist. <laughs> she goes, well, what do you mean? And I go, hey, look, I don't we don't have to talk about religion at all, actually. I, I just need to get my hair cut, and I, I like you, so no problems. She goes, no, let's talk about it. I go, okay, if you want. And, uh, and she ended up, like, shaking uncontrollably while she was cutting my hair. And I was like, hey, um, what's the ear right there? But I just talked to her calmly. I didn't need to fight her or combat her. I was just prepared with the gospel of peace. Peacefully laying out the gospel. Really, there's a difference. You don't have to fight on Jesus' behalf. And I laid out for her, and you know, her closing comment to me was this. She goes, you are a very interesting man. I said, well, I I think you're an interesting girl. And she said, you've given me a lot to think about. I said, amen, what's your name? (laughs) Hit you with a little Schausbach. So, anyway, all right, 16, I'm going to land, ready? Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I think for so long, I thought this was about mustering up your faith so that, you know, you could just stand if you had to. You know what I think this is about? 
I think this is about when you're getting hit. Because you don't need a shield unless you're getting hit, right? You know, if there's, no, there's nothing coming at you, you don't, why do you need a shield? You don't need it. But there's fiery darts coming. The whole idea is you're lifting up a shield to stop the attacks. You're getting hit. And what happens is this. So many times when we get hit, we don't trust the Lord. I just think this is about simply, I think he's simply saying this. When attacks are coming, when the warfare is on, trust God. Trust Jesus. Hope in and rely on him. He's going to see you through. He's going he's to see you through. He's going to carry you over. You don't have his vantage point. You don't know why he's allowing this to happen. You don't know what's going on. Trust God. He knows what's going on. He's going to see you through. He's working on your behalf. Everything he does is good. He's bringing good through your life, even though a few darts have hit you. He goes, you want to quench all the fiery darts? Trust God. Just trust God. Believe in his goodness for you. Believe that he's working on your behalf. Yeah, the arrow might hit you, but it's going to be expelled. It's going to be quenched because you trust him. You hold up your faith in believing in God and go, you know what, enemy? It doesn't matter what you sling against me. He's good. Though he slays me, I'll praise him. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. If I live or die, that's what Paul said. He goes, live or die. He goes, I don't care. I want to serve Jesus. Because I'm having a hard time deciding which is best. To live on in the flesh, he goes, that would bring fruit for my labor with you or to depart and be with Christ. What can the enemy take from you? Nothing of, of eternal significance. But even rather this, if you suffer in this age, you know what? It's accounted to you in the next age as reward. Oh my goodness. Where's that line again? I'm going to line up in the suffering line. Because I want reward in an age that's going to matter. This is the internship, beloved. This is the do-over realm. When the attacks are coming, trust God. Trust God. This armor, this is about loving truth. This is about living righteously. Hungering for righteousness. This is about being prepared because we don't understand. We fully underestimate the power of a gospel proclamation to shift an atmosphere. You know this. When you've been with family and friends or when you've been at work and some kind of um, conversation comes up and you just drop that little nugget of truth in there, some are going to like it, some aren't. But you want to watch a flurry of activity all of a sudden. You want to watch people get unnerved. Did he say Jesus? Yeah, Jesus. (laughs) You know, you'd like boo Say, Jesus, wow. You want to watch a flurry of activity, just in peace, just release truth. I don't know. I, I believe this. I believe this is what the Bible says, or this is what, this is what I'm convicted of. Boom, 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 boom. And just say it calmly. You don't have to defend yourself. Yes, yeah, some won't like you, some will. We don't understand the power of these things. Preparation of the gospel of peace. The shield of faith, trusting God. Trusting God. I love it. He says, the shield of faith is going to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. All the fiery darts. I want to have a lifestyle. I want the practices of my life to set me up 
that whenever the attacks come, they all get quenched. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't want, the, I don't want half the attacks to sort of get through and like beat me up real bad. I just want to have a lifestyle where I'm given to these things and that whatever the attack is, you know, there's pain, there's challenge. I'm not saying you don't go through ups and downs, but I'm saying, no, I'm anchored and holding on to Jesus. I'm loving truth. I'm hungering for righteousness. I'm ready to proclaim truth. And my faith, I, I believe in him. He's good. Everything he does is good. And every attack of the enemy is going to fail. I want to live that way. I want to live like that. I'm just going to end right there. Maybe we'll pick up with this next week. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and stand. I think I got into overload zone about 10 minutes ago, but it's okay. Oh, God. Reteach us. Retrain us. Biblical mentalities. Spiritual warfare. It's, It's not because we're powerful. It's because we're weak. They were able to be victorious. Come, Holy Spirit. God, in the season of fasting and prayer, as we're putting ourselves in a place of voluntary weakness, I pray, let the truths of the scriptures, let them bear upon our soul. them bear upon our soul the power and weakness the power and simple faith power and simple proclamation oh that we be lovers of truth want to love truth truth that, that dismantles me truth that deals with me truth that reduces me to love Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.